Check out the Geek Therapy Forum, which combines the features of a traditional message board with the comment section of all our content. Join the discussion at forum.geektherapy.com. Welcome to Headshots, a psychology and gaming podcast on the Geek Therapy Network. My name is Josue Cardona, and I'm joined by Lauren Keller. Hello. Lauren, what are we talking about today? We are talking about memorable video game deaths. One of your favorite topics. I can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? When did that start? Um, you know, I don't really know. I've always been sort of morbid and into death in general, so... <laughs> <laughs> And also into video games forever. So it's just kind of a combination of my two favorite things, perhaps. I gotcha. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you're you're completing your PhD program now. And we've done a few episodes related to things that you did a paper on. And, yep. and that's what we're doing today. So what yep. was your paper on exactly? What was it called? What makes a memorable video game death? A grounded theory investigation of impactful game deaths. Because, you know, I'm in a PhD program, so I have to make my title as long as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, basically, my my research question uh, was inspired by Gabby DiRienzo's podcast, The Play Dead Podcast, in which she interviews game developers from various uh, development fields about death in video games. And um, as part of that, she always asks them, what is your most memorable video game death? And I was always like really like interested in the answers to those questions. And that sort of fueled me to um, want to do a research project on it. And uh, I just finished up the last of my my year-long research methods course. And um, for the last trimester of that, we were allowed to uh, build our own project. And so that's what I decided to build it on is um, the Play Dead podcast question of what is your most memorable video game death? Um, and I I ended up transcribing one of the episodes from the podcast. And then um, on the Geek Therapy forums, I posted a thread and got a bunch of replies from the, from the forum posters. So I used those to do um, sort of uh, analysis of what features and what characteristics make a a video game death memorable that makes it really stick with people and feel impactful. It was very exciting to to see the geek there before him in a research paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was exciting to to write about it. You know, um, <laughs> uh, writing writing APA academic papers you have to you have to cite all of your sources always forever and so when i posted that i i was using um a thread from the the geek therapy forums i have to cite the source and so i got to (laughs) i technically because i wrote the thread um i'm in my own references list which is kind of exciting I think one of the funniest parts in the paper is when you say the title of the of the actual threat. Yep. <laughs> Just help Lauren with the research paper. Something yep. like that, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that is what I that's what I titled it. I figure being straightforward is the best thing I can do, right? <laughs> help me do my homework, please. <laughs> now now that's a really cool uh thread, so I'll definitely link to that also. And so like what did you find or or maybe what did you think you would find so 
it's a it's a that's a tough question actually because I, when I took the grounded theory approach, a lot of that um, theoretical framework is coming from a position of not having preconceived ideas and just letting the data tell you. But I had already listened to the Play Dead podcast, and this is a conversation I've had with people before, and so um, probably my biggest expectation was hearing stories from um when the player was like younger you know maybe maybe early teens or you know like 10 or 11 and it's like a video game that they're playing for the first time and uh, maybe it's like a narrative that they've not really encountered before so it's like the twist of somebody getting unexpectedly murdered is like actually a shocking twist instead of an expected part of narrative un- unrolling um i expected a lot of that and there and there was a fair amount of that um not maybe not quite as much as i expected but uh it, it was definitely interesting to see how many people were naming games that they had played when they were when they were younger which sort of fits in with uh general memory theory and uh teenage <laughs> the teenage years <laughs> it surprised me to see, to hear about people who remembered game deaths really early because i i I don't. And I don't remember talking to people who have memories like that. But I guess you have. I I mean, I have. Uh, Like, okay, honestly, the thing that I learned from writing this paper is the example of a memorable video game death is Eris dying in Final Fantasy VII, because so many people named that (laughs) as their most memorable death. And a lot of them are, you know, around my age. So in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s and uh, Final Fantasy seven came out in 97 98 um maybe it's 98 uh but so it's like right around when people were like you know between 10 and and 15 um a lot of the participants so it does sort of fit with that like impactful age range but also like straight up killing Eris was like really impactful for a lot a lot of people and you wrote in your conclusion that so many people brought it up that it's probably worth exploring that death alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely there's, I know there's more episodes of the Play Dead podcast where other people bring it up uh, to the point where it's sort of a joke with Gabby where she's like, don't you say Final Fantasy Seven, And then they do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, I definitely, I, I have talked to other people where it's like, if you bring up Final Fantasy, they're all like, oh man, do, did you play Seven? Do, do you remember when Eris died? Oh man, that messed me up so bad. And stuff like that. Um, I, I definitely think it would be interesting to go a little bit deeper in that. But uh, I definitely, you know, it's it was it was a special death. It wasn't just a character on your team dying. It was also sort of um, the love interest. And so there's a lot of expectations of the love interest needing to make it to the end so that you can get the happily ever after that stories are supposed to give you, right? And so killing off the love interest is like really shocking to a lot of people, especially if you're already used to that narrative structure of love interests, you know, they're imperiled, but they're never like, like they're never really in threat of being killed because then, then they can't smooch at the end with the happy endings (laughs) and the smoochies. Yeah. I mean, I'm replaying Final Fantasy seven right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, Yeah, uh, it's been months uh, that I'm that I'm in the middle of it. So every now and then I go and I I get back in and, you know, right very early on, you meet Eris and she's a mysterious character. 
and there's like it's like kind of flirty right with you and cloud and then slowly but surely you she becomes a character that's not only not only are you do you know that cloud's interested in but i think because of that mystery as a player you're interested in learning more and then she joins your team and she's your healer so there's all of these things that come together that when she dies it's it still is like so so shocking I'm dreading it already. I haven't gotten to the point where she dies, but I'm dreading it happening happening again because it's been so many years. But I do, I do remember that. I don't remember so much the the scene. Like actually, now I remember more the. Um, I think they they remade the scene in Advent Children, so like you see, the, you see Cloud's memory of her death um, much more clearly than it looks like in the in the PlayStation One game. Mm-hmm. But I remember the feeling afterwards of disbelief. And then that emptiness of like, I lost a character, a healer on top of that. And that's like an important part of the team. Like all those things put together are, man, I don't know. Like I I think about that all the time and I can't think of a game that does it. Has, Has there been a game that like builds up a character so much so then... Because, it, I mean, it's a PlayStation 1 game. I don't know how likable Eris was. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like there wasn't... yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's an example of a game that really uh, marries the idea of narrative and game mechanics. Like, having it be your healer, having it be a vital part of your team, someone, you know, who doesn't necessarily uh, contribute to killing other creatures but instead helps you stay alive and then having them die and, and uh, I just I, it's it's really artfully done and I, you know I don't know if it's like ahead of its time but it's certainly there's a reason why people keep bringing it up even though it's like I don't know 20 years later did you have that experience did you play seven when you were younger? <laughs> i have never played a final fantasy game <laughs> and and i think it was four separate final fantasy games were named in in my uh in my data i had to do a lot of background research to to like like i looked up videos of all of these games to actually see the game deaths so that i would understand like specifically what was happening in them but yeah i'm playing four <laughs> different final fantasies right now <laughs> i'm in the middle of 15 i'm in the middle of seven <laughs> wow that's a lot of final fantasy technically i i mean i have an account on 14 i haven't i haven't played in a while i just picked up 10 and 10 too Whew. yeah it's uh... a <laughs> yeah i like those games by the way <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very popular. Yeah. No, again, I think I think they are special. But not surprisingly, a lot of people mentioned Eris, but I think there's a lot of, of cool stuff that, that you mentioned in the in the paper. So what else kind of stood out to you? I was sort of surprised. I expected a lot more focus on mechanical death rather than narrative death. Um, honestly, what, what, where I'm coming from here is I, I expected somebody to say like, oh, my most memorable death was when I lost a million souls in Dark Souls hmm. or something like that, where it's like just like I was devastated because I I lost all of this progress or, you know, my little brother erased my game save or whatever, like that that kind of story. And and there was one of those um, given by somebody, but but most of them were more tied to uh, narrative and very much like, you know, um, 
a couple of people mentioned Mass Effect, uh, specifically Mass Effect 2 and yeah. the like suicide mission at the end. And um, I lost half my team. I did. <laughs> I didn't I, know it was possible either. To, yeah, <laughs> to, to yeah, go. it's, it's uh, yeah. that that was that was a really a really good answer from from one of the forum posters talking about um, how right after they did it, they felt really good about it because it was like this idea of like these people I cared about sacrificed themselves to save everybody. Like that's so heroic and meaningful. And then going online to message boards and finding out that no, actually, you just sucked and didn't do the thing you needed to do to keep your people alive and and framing that within the uh, within the game's narrative where it's like oh commander shepherd was too idealistic to catch um, these important things that that he needed to do to succeed and keep his people alive and and I thought that was really cool how they it, it, they didn't turn that around to being like oh I'm stupid they made it about like it sort of fit in with their whole narrative experience of the game yeah. I mean, I think that one affects a lot of people too, because you can't necessarily use all of those people in the third one, but I'm guessing they, they still appear or there's, I don't remember, uh, it's been a long time, but when you play Mass Effect 3, you build a new team, but some of the people that you can bring on, you can only bring on if they survived your playthrough mm-hmm. in Mass Effect 2. Yeah. So again, I don't remember at the moment if I knew uh, when I played, well, I know when I played Mass Effect 2, I knew there was already a three. But I don't know if people, when they were doing that, realized that there's like another 50 or 60 hours after this. <laughs> that uh, and, and this one event um, is going to carry forward throughout some of that anyway. Yeah, it's um, definitely, I, I didn't complete Mass Effect 2. I, I got up to like right before the, um, you know, this is your last turnaround point before end game. And then I just never played it again, <laughs> which is a common problem for me. Um, but yeah, I remember being really, maybe this was in three, but uh, when, when Morden sacrifices himself to undo the, the Krogan genophage, like that, w- that was really impactful for me because I really liked that character and it and it was definitely coming from a selfish place where it's like I don't even though I know it is the right thing for you to do this I don't want you to die because I think you're funny and I want you to stay on my ship (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah I mean getting getting people to care about characters like I mean granted in in some of the AAA longer games you're spending like 50 60 hours with these characters so it makes sense that you begin to care about them but sometimes it's still really impressive how much game designers can get us to really get invested in these characters. Yeah, I didn't finish three, so I don't know yeah, what me, you're talking about. Me neither. About now, <laughs> <laughs> I also didn't finish three. <laughs> like we said, most people don't finish uh, most games. Yeah, but true, true. So it seems like, at least from what you found, was that people who were angry about a death didn't remember those, or at least when the question of a memorable game death or the most memorable game death, the most memorable ones weren't related to anger, related to like the loss of a character or, or you know, whatever, just any anger. It was more sadness or a lost connection. It was something else. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely anger was represented. I mean, you know, I, I took for, you know, one, one little section, I, I sort of mentioned the, um, the, the stages of grief 
and how all of the stages of grief were represented by people, you know, describing their emotional states. Um, Anger was mentioned, but it wasn't mentioned as much as um, people feeling like guilty or like, you know, feeling responsible for the death. It was my fault that they died. And I definitely, (laughs) I feel like that, that ties really well into a lot of people's actual real life grief experiences of, you know, feeling anger and then feeling responsible. Like, what could I have done different? How could I have saved them? Those kinds of feelings get reflected in in our media and in our video games as well. Um, But yeah, I I expected to see more frustration than I saw. I think only one person straight up said, like, I died, I lost a bunch of progress and I died and I was really pissed off and frustrated and that's why it's memorable. (laughs) I, b- I believe you mentioned that one person answered twice on the forum. Right? It was you. It was me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, not only did I mention two of them, but I didn't even mention what is probably my most memorable one. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you answered, you were like, this is just the one that came to me right now. And then you answered again later, and you're like, this one just happened, so I want to talk <laughs> about it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm, it's useful data. <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because you've brought up this idea enough to me where I think about this often. Ha ha ha. And, uh, you know, uh, Metal Gear Solid is one of my favorite game series. Mm-hmm. To the point where I am, I don't think we're going to get another Metal Gear. So I haven't started five because I feel like that's, that's, that's the end, you know? And, and I get so invested in those games. I kind of like want to start from one again and then just play through. I'm hoping they'll all get re-released on Switch or something so I can like <laughs> find an excuse to just uh, keep replaying and, and save number five. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the ones I mentioned, right, from, from uh, Snake Eater. Yes. And then I had just played uh, Become, uh, Detroit Become Human, which we, talked, we, we, we did a whole episode about. Mm-hmm. And But my, I think my most memorable one is actually from Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is yeah. such a good that's such yeah. a good game. <laughs> yeah. There's a there's another you know, I mentioned early earlier the idea of really pairing your game mechanics and your narrative and having them boost each other up. A Tale of Two Sons is definitely like the prime example of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I replayed it recently um before before O Way Out came out. And because it's the same, the same director, I was like so happy to see. Well, anyway, I, I won't say. Anyway, it was emotional just to get back into that game, knowing you know what happens at the end. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I didn't get to the end again, but you know it was it was enough. I think I'm pretty sure that's my most memorable one. Even though Eris is up there, definitely. But uh, I think I think Brothers is because I was older. Maybe you know I think it was more more recent. I think I could appreciate it more. I don't know how much I appreciated Eris's death. I've I've come to appreciate it a lot more after. Yeah. But I don't know how much I appreciated it at the time. It was also one of those things where like the PlayStation wasn't mine. It was my my stepbrothers. So like we were sharing it. So like my time with with the game was was like stolen time with the PlayStation, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was um I don't know. It was a different experience. I'm curious, what is yours? So, definitely Brothers is pretty high up there. That is that is pretty impactful death, but um uh, the one I always go back to and the one that I posted in the forum thread as an example is uh, the first time I played Tomb Raider. 
I was uh, a little girl and my dad would let me play his video games um, like Duke Nukem and Doom and Quake, but he would put uh, God mode on for me so I couldn't I couldn't die. I would just like run through the game and shoot wildly and, and sometimes finish it or whatever. Um, but he, he bought himself Tomb Raider and then decided that he didn't like the way it controlled. And so he's just like, I'm not going to play it. And I was like, well, I, I want to, I want to try it, dad. Let, let me try it. And I don't know if he didn't, uh, couldn't actually find the God mode way to turn on God mode or if he just didn't care. And he was like, I I don't care about this game. I'm not going to bother doing that. Uh, but anyways, I didn't, I played it without God mode and this is like my first time playing without God mode and, um, my first time playing as a female character, which I was really excited about. And, um, I get through the tutorial level and then in the first like actual area, uh, Lara Croft got eaten by a bear and I felt so, so guilty and like I had betrayed like the girl power. I'm, I'm making like peace signs right now, like girl power. Um, <laughs> and, and then it's like I was a terrible person and I was bad at video games and just this like awful. And I, I quietly I turned it off. I turned off the computer. I went in my room and I cried like quietly because I didn't want my dad to know. Um <laughs> And it was just like this whole bit, and I and I didn't play Tomb Raider again until um, they rebooted the series in 2013, and I was finally like, you know what, I'm you know I'm not going to let this hold me back anymore. <laughs> I'm going to overcome my my Tomb Raider broken heart, and I loved that game so much. I 100% the the 2013 Tomb Raider. I love that game so much. Um, that game also has some pretty like horrifying but memorable deaths in it, but um, not as yeah. not as not as much as that that first one when I was a little girl. It's just very much um, realizing how how invested I could be and how important a character can be to me. Even even you know recognize I wasn't like a baby. I recognized that it was fictional. It wasn't real, but it still it felt felt so meaningful to me that I was finally getting to play as a powerful woman and that I let her down and like how disappointed in myself I was. The Tomb Raider games are important to a lot of women because who else was there you know like that starred in her own game other than maybe you know like you had like fighting game characters you know that could stand toe to toe to the male counterparts but Tomb Raider was a big deal Tomb Raider is a big deal Yeah. yeah but you know as you're describing it it almost sounds like that was your first game death period I mean it probably wasn't actually but if you asked me to remember an earlier one um I don't know if I could come up with something i mean do deaths in minesweeper count like <laughs> <laughs> like the first time mario jumps into a yeah yeah a i mean it, it's like, like at oh. that at that point i was i played the the handful of my dad's games that i was definitely too young to play but i really loved them um and then a couple of like children's educational games like freddy fish <laughs> <laughs> like those those were the games I was playing at that time. Freddy Fish, Duke Nukem. Not not a lot of women re- represented in there. Yeah. <laughs> so what else stood out from the from from the stories that you read or that you wrote about? 
Okay, so another thing that stood out is that um, JRPGs, like I already mentioned, a lot of Final Fantasy games were mentioned, but JRPGs and, um, you know, a, a, a American RPGs or action RPGs, whichever way you want to translate the ARPG, <laughs> um, those, were, those were mentioned a lot. I mean, you know, Mass Effect and uh, Metal Gear Solid, and, and, and I guess that's sort of a more of an action game, but just a lot of uh, third-person perspective action slash adventure role-playing, those were all really prevalent in the data. I had uh, the two outliers were... Um, <laughs> Kelly talking about Halo. Uh, that was the only first-person shooter listed. And then one of the um, game developers talked about a text adventure game called Save the Date. Um, and so those were the only two games that, that didn't fit under the um, RPG or action-adventure game umbrella, which was sort of surprising to me. I expected a, a couple more outliers, but um, it sort of makes sense. It, it, it is the most, like, common type of game. There's a reason why they're so popular. There's also a lot of series games. I mean, Final Fantasy, obviously, Mass Effect, we keep mentioning. Are RPGs the most common type of game? Not, I I mean, um, more along the lines of third third person mm, okay. um, perspective gotcha. games. Gotcha. Compared okay. to first person shooters, I guess there isn't really a way to do a second person game. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe that's the text adventure. Uh, but just you know, um, I'm surprised because I thought that first person shooters are definitely like the most played games. I don't know. I mean, like if you, I, if you take sports out of uh, out of the equation, then it's like boom. It's uh, it's it's first person shooters, bestsellers. That's what I thought. I don't know. I'm sure we could easily look this up. Yeah, <laughs> that's the impression. I, 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 have. I don't. I mean, I don't know the specifics off the top of my head. It's something I didn't dive too deep into. But I, I mean, I do know. You know, if you look at the games that have come out this year so far, I feel like you'd see more third-person titles than first-person titles. Certainly, first-person titles are very popular, but like I said, only one person mentioned it as a memorable game death, even though first-person, like, shooters, they are usually about shooting and death is involved as, like, a major aspect of the game, but that's not what's memorable about those games. It's not It's not the deaths. It's the, you know, the game feel of getting a sick headshot or whatever. I've got a lot of things going through my mind. Like, there are certain games where you just die all the time. Yeah. It doesn't feel that important because... It's constantly happening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like a death yeah. in Super Meat Boy doesn't mean as nope. much as a death in... It's happening every 15 seconds, right? So yeah. Really yeah. yeah. More than that for me, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like every two seconds. Yeah. My gosh. So I'm so bad at those games. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Certainly. Uh, the way that a game mechanically utilizes death changes whether or not it'll be impactful for a player, right? Like um, one person brought up um, permadeath in games like XCOM or um, what's the uh, Fire Emblem? Decay. 
oh, Fire Emblem. Oh, and, and State of Decay also. Yeah. Um, but uh, the idea being that um, in XCOM, I don't know if you can, can you name people in State of Decay? I thought they came pre-named. In, in Fire Emblem, they come, pre, they come pre-named. But um, in XCOM, you can name them whatever you want. And so this extra layer of, of sort of creating that connection to this character, where it's like you name them and then whatever happens in the game as part of their unfolding story that you're you're getting to witness and then when they die how like disappointing or upsetting or heroic that can be depending on how they die yeah um yeah yeah yeah, it's it's really it's really cool stuff to see things like that but then i mean you know on the other side of that stuff like permadeath in like i don't know splunky or binding of isaac is like it's not as impactful in the same way because you don't have that that connection where you're you're naming them and you are um, sort of creating a story of their experience in you know alien apocalypse or what have you. But in those games, you come back like Spelunky and Isaac. You're always the same character when you come back. I guess. In Rogue Legacy, there's this idea that every time you play, you die, and then when you come back, you play as the next generation of the person. Before yeah. you. So and I think a lot about Rogue Legacy all the time because of some of the things that it does. Um, but like even small things like that, right? It's like, well, that person, even if it's just a color swap, right? It's like, well, that, that character is dead. You can never be that character again. You, get, you had your best run ever, which inevitably that's going to happen. You're going to have an amazing experience and then that person is going to disappear. And I don't know, there's a feeling like I'll never have that experience again with that character. And yeah, that's, that's true. Even though it's kind of just a trick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely uh, clever, clever design. Yeah, and again, and, and the RPG thing makes sense, right? Because you're actually investing, not just like the grind, but you're actually selecting attributes. Your my character is different than yours. It's yeah. not the exact same. I don't know, like um, a recent first-person shooter with the with the story is uh, like. Um, Wolfenstein. And I think Wolfenstein, I think there's one moment in the first game where you have a choice. And but really you're just playing through a story. You know, mm-hmm. there isn't there isn't you're just playing through through his story. And then, and that's it. Um you can care that, that there is all narrative, right? There isn't really that investment in I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's different yeah, for different yeah, people. It's, but, it's yeah. um uh player engagement where the player is is providing additional information or investment in in the characters or in the setting um from from inside where it's like they they're imagining their own stuff or what have you and and how that's uh separate from just being told a story that you aren't participating in in any way other than pressing like x to see the next line of dialogue yeah, well, I don't. It's like as I was saying it, it gets confusing because I remember Wolfenstein fondly. Like I'm BJ, right? I'm him. I'm. This is our story. But I'm not like I don't. There's a character customization, you know. I don't. There's nothing different about mine than than yours. I think uh, in the in the new one they had some like skills that you could unlock that were one? sort of branching. Yeah, the the more recent one, but not not like a full RPG skill tree. It was really just like choose you know two out of three of these skills or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and but what I was thinking about 
how the next game in the series, which I think isn't technically Wolfenstein three, it's more like a like a um I don't think it's DLC either. It's like a like a short uh game. You actually play as his daughters. And there's something about that that I'm really excited about because you're playing through this story, right? There's this this idea of legacy, of um a lineage. And, and I mean other games are doing that uh, too, like uh like in Gears right you play as marcus's son i don't know like that stuff like it, once you start caring about the characters there's different ways to to care about characters right it can be it can be through the narrative it can be through just your experience with with the person hey we've launched a new website called the geek therapy forum Almost every piece of content on the Geek Therapy Network is now linked to a topic on the forum, replacing the comments on separate websites. It also includes all the features of a traditional message board, so we have topics ranging from pop culture and video games to psychology and mental health. Patreon members also get access to an exclusive area to discuss Patreon-exclusive content, all in one place. You'll find a link to this episode's topic on the GT Forum in the show notes, or you can go to forum.geektherapy.com to sign up and join the discussion. Again, visit the new GT Forum at forum.geektherapy.com. We've been uh, streaming FTL recently, right? And mm-hmm. Brandon names people after whoever's in the stream. And that's kind of cool. And I'm rooting for my little guy who is only named after me because I was the third person to jump onto the stream, right? Like there's no yep. real connection. There's no reason why I should really care about that character, but I do. <laughs> I care about that little speck of like three pixels a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's my guy. That's me. That's me. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> I'm putting out fires in the shield room. Feels yep. so good. Go me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um I mean one of I didn't realize that this was a thing, but I guess in in Final Fantasy you can also change the names of your characters from their mm-hmm. c- canonical names to whatever you you want to name them, and so some which I think is so weird. I know, but, right? Uh, my heiress was heiress. <laughs> One of the people on the podcast was was talking about how she and her friend would um, play together at sleepovers, and so they named heiress and Cloud. Not Cloud. It's the other the other female character. Oh, Tifa. Tifa, yeah, named named Eris and Tifa after the the two girls who were playing the game together, and so it's like <laughs> it was an, an no. extra an extra layer of like discomfort when <laughs> when she died, <laughs> and so it's like having just you know just that small ability of being able to to let the player name somebody is is really impactful and sort of cool to think about. I mean, I always think about um, Legend of Zelda and and Link. Link has a name. His name is Link, but mm-hmm. people can name him, you know, whatever you want, as long as it's under nine characters or whatever. I once played uh, Ocarina of Time and named Link after me. Yeah. But that would, I only did it one time. It was weird. <laughs> My Link has been Link and Lonk and <laughs> like, say what? <laughs> I, sometimes I just pick weird names because I want to see what the... um how goofy it gets when the other characters use it in text. <laughs> as as goofy as Legend of Zelda is on its own, I take it too seriously to to mess with the names anymore. I can't do it. <laughs> it's gotta it's gotta be the <laughs> Link's real name, Zelda. It's Link. It's Link. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
the reason why I was so interested in this um, is because I think that we as as people and particularly Americans are not very good about talking about death. And, you know, we talk about this on, on GT Radio all the time, but um, the media we consume can be a really good way to bring up these kinds of conversations. And, and I think video games can be, can be that, and they can be a way to learn the language of expressing these kinds of sort of amorphous, uncomfortable things that we don't really talk about, but we sort of expect everybody to know the social norms and, and it's like we, we we pick up a lot of that stuff through media and i definitely feel like video games can be a tool for for starting those kinds of conversations and getting us to think about um, death and I think video games in particular are a special medium because it has the extra layer of interactivity and you know I keep bringing up the idea of like the mechanics and the narrative going together and and that's something that um, you know Obviously, in like film, you have the visuals and the auditory. You want those to match and go together. In games, it's the same way with the addition of wanting your player to have a certain type of experience. And uh, I think exploring death and dying and how we feel about that and how we communicate those feelings to each other and how we... Um, deal with trying to carry on your life after after a death, and uh, I think that th- this is this is where it's at. That this is where we can really get into those conversations, and and not just individually, but also like culturally, and start talking about that stuff. One thing that we bring up a lot on Rolling for Change, another podcast on the network, is the idea of reflecting upon a gaming experience right after. It's something mm-hmm. that we're not used to doing, but it's something that is pretty awesome if you just get into the habit of it. And we, we talk about that like for every game. But can you imagine anytime you have a, a strong emotional experience, like many times you're alone. I have this memory of playing Ocarina of Time, and it's the first time that um, young Link turns into adult Link. And I had the strategy guide and I had read it. So I knew that this was going to happen. And I was so excited that I didn't want to go through it alone. So I called my mom over to just come and watch the scene with me. (laughs) And so like I stood in front of the master sword, went and got my mom. My mom sat with me and I pulled the master sword out and I saw that transformation. And I was able to talk to somebody about it. Like I know forums and things like they allow us to to do that a lot. And I think I think that that's great. I, I I invite people to do that more often, you know? And if we're talking about a game death in particular, like the moment that happens, like if you just take a moment to sit back and, and reflect on that and how you feel, I don't know, I think, I think you can find some pretty cool insights that you wouldn't get if you just press start, you know, and keep, and keep going. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. I, I mentioned that in my paper that even single player games can have a really strong social aspect, like what you're talking about, where where it's like you're you're playing it by yourself. It's a single player game, but it, it's so emotional and impactful that you you wanted to share it with somebody. You didn't want to experience it alone. You wanted to be able to like have somebody with you who if not impacted the same way you are, at least witnessed it. I think that's that's really powerful. I mean, I uh, another example of a memorable game death is in Fallout 3. I 
collected a bunch of grenades and mines and the lunchbox bombs and, and just just a ton of them because I didn't really use them in regular fights. So I just had a whole bunch. And I went to where one of the super mutants spawn and made a big, huge pile of all of the the grenades and mines, like like really huge pile, like, I don't know, six or seven hundred individual pieces that I am dumping into this one spot. My 360 is starting to make that really loud noise where, you know, it might red ring, you're not sure. Uh, And then uh, activating, so the super mutant spawns and runs down the hill into the big pile of grenades and explodes so hard that my Xbox crashes. And it's like, that was so funny to me. And I spent (laughs) like like hours setting it up and then quick saving so that i could reload it over and over again and and try and make it not totally crash and you know getting it to actually unfreeze itself to the point where it's like there's just two legs on the ground and if i walk in a really far direction to the sides i can find the arms (laughs) the head is just gone um and, and just like how funny that was to me and and that is very much a single player game it's very much about like choosing your own adventure and and your stats and what weapons you use and how you play and all that stuff and it's like one of my favorite memories to share about that game is is that that ridiculous <laughs> super mutant death I did and uh, like that that'll be one of my go-to's to, to talk to other people about video games is like hey have you ever played this game even though it's not a social game there's a huge social aspect to it <laughs> that's a great story <laughs> Yeah, I really love Fallout 3. Yeah, I, I have I have a special power of finding uh, glitches in games anyways, but in a Bethesda game in particular, it's like if I can go more than 30 minutes without a hard crash, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I broke that game a lot. Um, very fun and very funny. <laughs> yeah, we can, we can talk a lot more about Fallout 3. Damn, I love Fallout 3. It's great. Uh, so in your conclusion, you mentioned in addition to like suggesting that, hey, maybe people should take a look, like a good hard look at why Eris is so many people's memorable game death. And and we touched on that here, what we think, but I'd also like to see more of that. And I'm sure, I'm sure some people have because it's so impactful. Um, you also mentioned the idea of possibly creating a game to study the impacts of game deaths. Do you have any ideas on how you or, or somebody might do something like that? I mean, I'm I am I am not a game developer <laughs> or even a game designer, so I, I wouldn't know uh, exactly where to start on that. But the idea of making like a, a little narrative game, since that seems to be more impactful, and having um, maybe having your player hooked up to EKG, whatever the the brain measure node things that you can wear without having to get inside of the metal tube. But having them wear that while they're playing this game and getting up to the point where it's like, surprise, somebody dies that you don't expect to be in danger or whatever. And just sort of seeing what that looks like neurologically and then having the player sort of describe their feelings in their own words later afterwards would be sort of interesting and then you know comparing it would be pretty easy to turn that that whatever that game looks like turn it into a non-interactive experience and doing the same thing and seeing how much interactivity changes the way 
that experience is. You know, I'm thinking about like what remains of Edith Finch and it's like the difference between playing the game versus watching somebody play the game is like it can still be very impactful and and you know, emotional, but maybe not in the same way as the person who is literally pushing the buttons and controlling the camera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought a little bit about this. And and actually, one question that I've asked a lot of researchers is, why can't we just take a game that already exists and kind of tweak it for, for research purposes? And most of the time, uh, I get uh, an answer that's like, it just doesn't work. Because that game was designed for a very specific reason. We can't really use it to like teach, for example, something else, right? It's mostly yeah. related to teaching um, um, when I've asked the question. I think, I think you could use you could use a game that already exists to do a study like that. But the, the difficulty always comes from um, recognizing the context of your, your participant. And it's like, if they've played this game before, or they, they've seen it before, it, it might change the way that they interact with it and what sort of outcomes you'll get from it. I think it has to be longer, you know, like, uh, the main thing I think about is like, it can't be like a 30 minute experience in front in a a lab. It's gotta be like, look, I'm going to give you this game, play it. Here's like some questions at every, you know, like at the end of a chapter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, the Assassin's Creed games, they, they used to, I don't know if they still do this, at the end of every mission, it would ask for feedback on how they did. So maybe building that into the game, where like right inside the game, it prompts you to like, for, for that reflection period, yeah. that would be interesting. Yeah, you know, yeah. it would be really cool to take um, like uh, Telltale's Walking Dead um, and just adding at the end of each chapter when it shows you um, the percentages uh, of um, who chose what option, yeah. um, both from your your friend group or globally. Uh, and, and just simply adding an extra like little box for people to, I mean, it's difficult to type on console, but for PC at least, have people fill in like, why did you pick this? And actually yeah. getting that kind of response instead of just being like, well, okay, 63% of people saved, you know, this character over that character. But then it's like, why? Why did you do that? And, you yeah. know, you'll get answers where it's like, well, I really hated that other dude, so I didn't care if he died. Or I really, you know, I really want to smooch this one, so I saved her. Or, or I hit the wrong button. Or I, uh, I flailed and I hit, you know, X instead of square. Or <laughs> That's not me. Uh, <laughs> Um, but just, you know, it's, it would be really interesting to get that that kind of, especially in the moment, if it's like the first time somebody is playing a game and you get that response, it's like, you know, why did you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Yeah. Um, how did that make you feel? I mean, you know, that was the really useful thing about you posting your Detroit Become Human um, post in the in the forum was that it was so fresh that we got like the most genuine uh, emotional response out of that that wasn't you reflecting on it 15 years later that was you like i just ha- had this happen and my mind is blown and this that's is right, how i feel and i was like yes give me those feelings um, that's right that was my <laughs> second response because i had already written the other one yep. it happened and i immediately went to the forum so what we need to do is just write up a little script that makes it so that when you're playing a telltale game <laughs> in regular intervals not even not even just like at the end just like big choices it just like the browser pops up. There's a Google form, and you just fill it out. Yeah, yeah, I like this. 
or it goes to the forum <laughs> links to a topic <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean the real the real lesson here is please tell me your memorable game death stories on the gt forums because <laughs> i can't get enough of them <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for talking to me about your paper um i i enjoyed reading it and i don't usually I, enjoy reading papers <laughs> yeah I'm, honestly, I didn't really expect you to, like, it's a 25-page academic paper. I did not fully expect you to read through that. So I appreciate you. Uh, I read through it twice. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Josue. That makes me feel You're really welcome. good. Technically, technically, I used a feature on my phone where it reads to me. And I was oh, that's playing, nice. I was just uh, playing some PvP and Destiny while it was being read to me. But I did it twice to make sure I didn't miss anything. Still counts, right? <laughs> that definitely counts. That makes me feel good. I was dying over and over and over again in Destiny while reading about memorable game deaths in my ears. <laughs> uh, 2018, y'all. 2018. I love technology. All right. So again, thank you so much for, for uh, talking about this. I know we're probably going to talk about this a lot more, whether or not on the podcast, I don't know, but uh, because it's just something that, that you think about and now I think about all the time heck yeah definitely uh plug um gabby's podcast again okay uh her name is gabby derienzo that is the play dead podcast on uh dork shelf i believe is what's called she's at gabdar on twitter and she's wonderful please follow her the whole podcast is is about this <laughs> and uh definitely add your response to the gt forum topic i'll link to it yeah. here I will. Um, I, I was planning on going back into the forum and updating it with with my paper actually in it. So those oh, of yeah. you who are interested can read it. That would be cool. That's what the forum is for. <laughs> for twenty five page essays. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> then come back and let us know what grade you got. I Thank got. You. I I don't know what grade I got on the paper specifically, but I got an A in the class, which I'm very happy about. So okay. all woo, right. Woo. 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 <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me on again, Josue. I really appreciate it. Giving me uh, an opportunity to talk about something I'm so excited about. <laughs> we'll keep doing this uh, more and more. Um, you can find Lauren's paper <laughs> at forum.geektherapy.com. You can find more headshots at headshotspodcast.com. On Twitter, it's at headshotscast. I'm at Josue Cardona. Lauren is at chicken dinosaur. Again, definitely check out the forum and check out our Discord, which is at geektherapy.com slash Discord. Lots of good stuff happening there. Um, and check out our weekly Twitch streams, um, Tuesdays, Fridays, and sometimes whenever Lauren and I feel like it, uh, <laughs> over yeah. at twitch.tv slash geektherapy. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks. You've just listened to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. Discuss this and all the episodes on the network by visiting the Geek Therapy Forum at forum.geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider becoming a member of Geek Therapy on Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash geektherapy.